Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray together. Father, what a glorious introduction to this book that fixes our eyes on Jesus. And I pray that you would help us to dig through this passage and to savor our Savior as we see him in full display and in full glory. We thank you for this, and we pray that you would encourage us in him. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Beloved, imagine with me for just a moment a time in the age of the church where the church has experienced unprecedented growth and a lot of excitement and vitality within the church, popularity and prominence. And it is a time of growth where the church is so excited that we're it's hopeful that the popularity and prominence would persist, but instead that popularity gave way to persecution. Persecution, not perhaps all-out violent in your, in your face persecution, but a subtle undercurrent of popular displeasure. But as the church considers it, wonder, is there violent or overt persecution on the horizon? And so the vigor and excitement that the church had starts to give way to fear and anger and weariness, so much so that some turned away from their faith to the way that things were beforehand. Beloved, that was the culture, that was the situation into which the book of Hebrews was written, but it doesn't take too much of a stretch of imagination to see how that situation seems to parallel our own as we consider what the church, how the church is to live, how we are to live as believers in the midst of our culture. And in the midst of that, God speaks. God speaks. But it's not with a whimper of resignation, but with a focus on the power and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a regal declaration that the Son of God has been enthroned on high and reigns supreme in the midst of our experience. And what we'll see throughout this book is just that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he, just as he led the Israelites in the wilderness, so he is leading his church even now, even in the midst of our wilderness, the wilderness of this experience, but there's a call to us to persevere and to remain steadfast. He will lead us, but we must remain steadfast in him. And when we look at this passage, these first four verses, what we need to see is that we can trust God to preserve us 
because of the perfect power of his son, Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of talk in this passage about speaking, God speaking, and that's the focus of Christ being the better word, the best word, the final word that we have from our God. And so we'll see this as we look through this passage in three points, just that God spoke, but secondly, God spoke clearly in his Son, and third, he spoke clearly in his Son to declare his powerful preservation of his people. So the passage begins, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So the writer of Hebrews gives us these two different ages of history. There is long ago and then the last days. He begins with long ago. And at long ago, God spoke, but he spoke in lots of different ways through the prophets. And he spoke to our fathers, the, the, the nation of Israel that came before the church. And he spoke through the prophets, multiple prophets. So remember, God spoke through Moses. God spoke through Samuel, Isaiah. He spoke in different ways. He spoke through the burning bush, through Balaam's donkey. He spoke through the fire at Mount Carmel as it consumed the sacrifice. He spoke to Moses as we read that God would raise up a prophet like Moses. He spoke to Samuel that he would raise up a priest that would be perfect. He spoke to David and he said he would raise up a king. He said these different things. He also spoke of covenants and laws and judgment and mercy and grace and peace. He talked about a shepherd who would come to shepherd his people and a suffering servant who would lay down his life and be bruised for his people to rescue them. He said all these things in lots of different ways from different people. And, he, and all these things were prophesied to come about in the last days, the prophets would say. The writer of Hebrews says that we are living in those last days. Verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. All those things that God had spoken come to a head and find their fulfillment in his son, which we have heard in these last days. We shouldn't see this as then and now, as in long ago and these last days, but two great ages that are find their fulfillment. It was these last days were prophesied by the prophets and the apostle Peter at Pentecost says these last days are now here. Inaugurated as the son of God is exalted into the heavenly places and sits on his throne and evidenced by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon his church. And we are living in these last days. And in these last days, look at what he says, he has spoken not to our fathers, but to us, to us. And he's spoken in, in a, the language not of multiple prophets in many ways, but by his son, by his son. So in both of these ages, it is God who's speaking. In both of them, it is the same voice that we hear, same message. The message is finding its center in Jesus Christ, but what we have received 
is better. It is better in, in two key ways. First, there is a unity of the message. A, it is one voice, even the Son, Jesus Christ, who is in the flesh, but also a finality. There is a culmination, a completion, a center of all this message in Jesus Christ in living color before us. God speaks to us with utter clarity and uh, because, because this is the very Son of God in the flesh. So he speaks, but he speaks with clarity, and that's what he talks about next, is that he says, he, verse 3, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Two things. First, he's the radiance of the glory of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is not a reflected glory, like the moon is to the sun, God is radiant in his glory. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the brightness or the effulgence. He is, he is the radiance of that glory. So there is that beauty there. But it is also the exact imprint of his nature, the, the type Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And, and Jesus said this too. He said, you know, some of the disciples said, Jesus, show us the Father. And he says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Because I and the Father are one. The Father and the Son are distinct persons. And yet there is such an inherent unity in the two, that when Jesus reveals who God is, we see the Father truly in the person of Jesus Christ. And so if we would know who God is, we need to look at the Son, because the Son is the one who reveals the invisible God. So he speaks clearly through this image, this perfect Son but the message that he gives is one of his powerful protection. He gives us seven things that he talks about the Son that, that highlight his power and his might for his people. The first is that, that, that thing that he, we just talked about, the radiance and glory of God and the exact imprint of his being. That tells us that the glory and the might and the power that is attributed to the Almighty God is correctly attributed to the Son. All that we might think of when we read through Scripture about God's power and might, the Son himself has as well. And one of those ways that he expresses that power is in the work of creation. It says, verse 2, through whom he also created the world. Kids, I don't know if you think about the about Jesus as being the one who created the world. But that's what this text says. We know that if we read Genesis chapter 1, it says that God spoke and God created all things out of nothing by the word of his power. He spoke and it came to being. But remember what we just read from John chapter 1. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is God's word in the flesh. And so that word, that powerful word through whom God created all things, 
is the very word incarnate. It's through the Son that God created all the world. But it's not just that he created the world and then left it to its own being. God upholds the universe, upholds his creation. And he says that here. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. That same word of his power upholding the very universe by his power. Thus, all things big and all things little, all things big, he raises up kings and kingdoms. He orders the events of history according to his great purpose. But every little detail, every minute detail, Scripture says that he causes grass to grow. He causes, that he keeps the birds from falling to the ground or our hairs from falling to the ground. He keeps our hearts beating. Every molecule is moving according to his great power. He's upholding the universe by his power, and he's, God is doing that through his Son. So the Son has not just the power of creation, but also in the work of providence. And one of those great works of providence is God's making us right with himself and purifying us for himself. And that's what it says there in verse 3. After making purification for sins, this Son is the purifier of our sins. Only the Son of God, perfect in his holiness and perfection, was able to purify us in his holiness. Only a perfect and spotless and blameless sacrifice could purify us. And only his spirit, the spirit of his son, could effectively make us participants in his holiness and purify us and prepare us for being in God's presence as holy and blameless in his sight. And so he's the purifier. And as a result of his purification for sins, as a result of his saving work, God has elevated him and given him the name above all names. And it says, he, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He has, God raised him and sat him in a place of authority over all creation. He gave him every rule and authority and power and dominion and gave him the name that is above every other name. He has enthroned the Son as King of kings and Lord of lords. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And God has seated him at his right hand. All things are from him and to him. And he's been given the name that is above every name. As it says, he, he has received a name. He's inherited a name much more excellent than the name of the angels. There is none that is greater than him save for his father. And all things are under him. He, is, he even now has a name that is excellent to all things. And the seventh thing, the final thing, is just as he, the writer of Hebrews points us back to creation, helps us to look at the work of providence, helps us to see the heavenly throne room where the sun is seated. He also points us to the future. He says back in verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things. 
not only all things created by him and sustained by him, but all things will be his. He is the heir of all things. They are his now and they will forever be. He, um, they're created by his grace. They're upheld by his grace and they will be inherited by him. To him will be and are and is the glory and the majesty and the dominion forever and ever. And all these things are to feast our eyes on the Son who is better. And what we have to remember is that what we have now is better, greater, more glorious than anything that has ever come before. You know, we, you know, we might read the Old Testament. And we see these stories of all these wild things that, that happen, these prophets that are coming with a word from the Lord, the, these, these, these miracles, these mighty works that God's doing, the parting of the Red Sea. And we might say, well, man, if only I could have lived in that time, that would have been fabulous. That would have bolstered my faith in a, in a new way because I would have seen it with my own eyes. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that, beloved, you have what we have today is far greater than even that, because all those things were simply types and shadows pointing, at, pointing ahead to the Son, the one whom the Father elevates and holds up and says, this is the one that you must listen to. This is my beloved Son. And if we consider what God has said through the Son, it ought to leave us speechless in awe and wonder. And consider the infinite and matchless and invisible God taking on human flesh, the immortal, the eternal, putting on mortality, the creator and the sustainer of all creation entering into his creation to redeem it for himself. The holy Blameless God being made in the likeness of sinful flesh and being made sin so that in him we might be made righteous and pure. And the judge of all the earth becoming just and justifier of his people. It's God, in Christ Jesus, we see God's character and his purposes, and they are marvelous and majestic and yet mysterious. But beloved, this is your God. This is your God, and your God would direct your eyes to look at Jesus and to see his work and his message in Jesus Christ, to know how your God will deal with you and how he will treat you. The, the book of Hebrews, like we said, is presented as though uh, making this comparison with the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. And if you remember that time, as they wandered in the wilderness, they had left the bondage of Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land. And they ended up wandering for 40 years. And there was a time of doubt. 
and trust and fear as they wondered, would God provide for them in the wilderness? Would God protect them and be faithful to his promises to lead them to the promised land? And beloved, that that's the same thing for us. We, we are on this side of our Egypt. We have on this side of the cross, having been set free from the bondage of sin, and yet on our way to glory. And we are caught in this time of a wilderness where we are struggling to see, will God be faithful? Will God preserve me to the end? Will he be faithful in the midst of all the stuff that we have to deal with, all the potential persecution. We are, we are faced with the fears of persecution and sickness, our own sin and foolishness, and wrestling with our weak faith in the midst of all that. The Christian life is not easy, beloved, and Scripture is very clear about that. But God speaks in the middle of that, and he says, in Christ Jesus... He tells us that he is trustworthy and faithful and will preserve us to glory. We can see this in four different ways. In the midst of persecution, beloved, we must stand firm in Christ. We have not yet come to the point where we have faced open hostility because of our union with Christ Jesus. But the Lord Jesus Christ did face open hostility. He was persecuted to death. He was humiliated, scorned, and put to death. But if you listen to what God says through Christ Jesus, God did not let his Holy One see decay. God demonstrated his power in Christ Jesus by raising him from the dead. And he was raised from the dead as the first fruits as a sample of all his people yet to come. He made the suffering servant the heir of all things and promised him justice would be done. So we might suffer now in the midst of persecution of various forms, but in Christ Jesus, we can see that it is a light and momentary suffering in compared to the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. We might fear sickness or pain, but in the midst of sickness and pain, we must stand firm in Christ. We do face diseases from within, the threat of a virus from outside of us, we face natural disasters or accidents. But if we listen to God in Christ Jesus, we see that the one who endured weakness on our behalf is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. And we can, we can look to him and know that while we might face these things in our life, they are not outside of his control. And he who shed his blood to rescue us will most certainly preserve us and rescue us and preserve our mortal bodies until that point when he brings us to glory. And when we get to glory, he says, we will never face sickness or pain or sadness or any such thing for all eternity. So we must stand firm in that. 
In the midst of our sin and foolishness, we must stand firm in Christ. We can reflect on our past, and we do reflect on our past, and we feel shame and regret for things that we can never undo, things that we said we can never take back. And there can be a weariness of our ongoing struggle with sin, our own folly and foolishness, um, which leads to regret, not to mention just the natural consequences of our sin. But if we listen to Jesus, listen to God and Jesus Christ, we can have hope because Jesus Christ was was sent to save sinners. And he made purification for sin. So that now, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. He was punished to purify you, to make you right with him forever and ever, and to set you free. He was made our righteousness and our wisdom in him. So we have every reason to hope and to stand firm. We've been forgiven now. And yet we have an eternal blessedness to look forward to when we will be pure and holy perfectly forever and ever. And finally, if we, so in times when we doubt our faith or where we have weak faith, those are the times when we especially must stand firm in Christ Jesus. Beloved, this story of Jesus Christ is not just some feel-good story that hasn't yet been made into a good movie. This is our very life. This is our very hope. This is how our God works and how he speaks. And our God is personal. Remember what it says. In these last days, he has spoken to us, to you. This is how the almighty God of the universe speaks to you. So that all God is, all that he does, he speaks to you in his son. So if you doubt that the transcendent God in heaven takes notice of you or cares about you, doubt no further because God speaks to you through his son. And if your faith is weak, look at the power of God expressed through his son, Jesus Christ, and know that that power is yours in him. And cling to him. God sent his son to rescue you out of his sheer love for you because he took notice of you. And he, was, he sent his son so that you might know him clearly and perfectly. He sent his spirit of his son to allow you to hear this message, to see his son and to cling to him with all of your hope. Christ is our champion and our Savior, and our internal hope. So the writer says, Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Beloved, it's, it's the same God that spoke throughout all of Scripture, and it's the same message, although what they had was not clear. First Peter 1 says that those prophets, they, they searched. They wanted to know what this was all about. And they realized they weren't serving themselves, but they were serving us. That this message was for us. But beloved, 
our God has granted us the blessing of hearing his son, seeing his son clearly and powerfully. As Dave said, the messenger is the message. And that's how God speaks to us. This message of his salvation, the message of his kingdom, the message of his love, the message of his grace. All these things are ours in his son, Jesus Christ, through whom he speaks to us, even to you, even this day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to us in your son. I pray that you would help us to marvel at him, that you would help us to hear what you say through him, help us to see you, your powerful might and love and grace as expressed through him. Help us to be built up in him that we might magnify you in him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.